Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Early. I'm your host, Larry Sternshine, and on today's show we talk to the host of the Cobwebs podcast, Daniel Epler. This is a special episode of the show because this is the month of October and I'm talking to friends of mine that love horror. One of the reasons why Daniel started the Cobwebs podcast was because he wasn't seeing podcasts talking about the classic horror films that he loves. His love for these films came from an early age when his father showed him the Universal Monster films of the 1940s. In this episode, we also talk about how important it is for him to pass on his love of cinema to his child and discuss the thought process on how to do that. We also talk about why he loves Hammer Horror and a conversation about whether or not remakes are good. In addition to all that, Daniel was nice enough to put together a list of five underseen classic horror films to watch this Halloween season. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Without further wait, Daniel Epler. All right, here we go. <laughs> Daniel, how's it going? Hi, I'm doing real good. How about you, man? Oh, just fine. Uh, I was We were talking off air and I was just saying how ill-prepared I am. But uh, it's going to be okay because I think you have a lot to say. So I'm not, I'm not too worried. Yeah, you know, you <laughs> asked for like me to bring five, like top five classic horror films or something like that. And that's like... 40 ish years of movies I love. So, you know, I, if I might be overprepared, so maybe we're, we can even each other out there. (laughs) It's totally okay. I wanted to have you on the show because I I, I love your podcast. First and foremost, with the cobwebs podcast, Uh, tell us a little bit about why you decided to focus on like older films. Cause a lot of podcasts are like the oldest we get is like the eighties, but you're going like deep in the well of older films. So what made you decide to do that? Sure. Uh, well, it's not because I grew up uh, going to see those movies in the theater because I'm actually pretty young. Uh, I'm nearing 30, uh, almost there. But um, yeah, so it started out really just because I want to talk about Hammer movies. Um, I just, I started, I, I, I grew up with three Hammer movies in particular that I taped off of TV onto a VHS tape. But other than that, I hadn't seen any more until adulthood. And I started getting really into it and seeking out all the Hammer movies I could find. And it, it was kind of drove me crazy that I couldn't find people talking about it on the internet. Almost. I could find a little bit, but not much. At the time, it, it just wasn't something people were talking about. So I kept like hoping podcasts that I listened to would do like a Hammer episode. And it seemed like those episodes were never coming. So I was like, you know what? I guess I was like Thanos putting his hand in the glove and the end credits of Avengers going, I'll fine, I'll do it myself. So I was like, maybe I'll just do this. So I recorded the first two episodes just by myself. I didn't know how to get guests. I had no idea how podcasting worked. Um, But I just sat in front of a mic and I talked about Hammer movies. And uh, and for a long time, the podcast was just classic horror themed. And I just kind of felt like that's what I could bring to the conversation because I don't know that I have anything interesting to say about Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street that other people aren't saying. But I am like, I'm more interested in watching like a black and white horror movie from the thirties than maybe some other people are. So I, I guess that makes me more likely to talk about these movies. Cause maybe I'm more likely to watch them, but um, so it was classic horror themed for a long time. Then I just kind of felt like I wanted to move on. So then we just moved on to just being old movie themes. So I just talk about old movies regardless of genre, except for the spooky season when it goes back to only horror. And um I, I just love it. And I kind of can't imagine doing anything else at this point because like these are the movies. It's not that I only like old movies. I don't. But these are the movies that I, I get the most excited to talk about. So I love it. Uh, I just have a lot of fun doing it. I know that feeling of 
seeing all the podcasts are out there right now. They're all talking about brand new movies or just like movies that everyone else talks about. So when I started like my podcast, I was just sort of like originally going to do an indie action podcast by myself, just like you did your first couple episodes. And, but then I realized there are people out there that just know more than I do. And I'm not sure I could do a podcast by myself. So that's where I pivoted to like, Hey, why don't I just get people on to talk about their history of movies? And, uh, I realize there's not a whole lot of those type of shows. I mean, we get like the movies that made me, for example, is like a big influence uh, on this particular show. But I mean, they got like pretty special guests on there. But like, I wanted to focus on just like regular dudes and women and from all walks of life because I'm like fascinated with just you know how everybody got into to movies and whatnot. So I'm sure your story is probably similar and different than some of the others. So I'm just kind of curious, what is your earliest movie memory? I think my earliest movie memory is actually topical. I think it's the Universal Monsters. Um, My dad loved the Universal Monsters when he was a kid. And that's just some of the first stuff that I can remember watching. Um, I think the most important things to me as a kid were the Universal Monsters and superheroes. Um, I know it's like, it's cool to shit on superheroes a little bit nowadays. Like people call it cape shit. Now I see this on Twitter and I get it. I get the superhero fatigue too, but superheroes have been very, very important to me my entire life. Um, So when I was a kid, I mainly remember watching like superhero cartoons and the universal monsters. And when I was a kid, I was terrified of horror, but for some reason, like if it was black and white, if it was really old, I was okay with it. In most cases, there are exceptions of old, old movies that just terrified me. But um, yeah, I think I think Dracula with Bela Lugosi is like the first movie I can remember being obsessed with. I remember one Christmas when I was a kid. It's still my favorite Christmas memory is my dad gave me a bunch of Universal Monsters VHS tapes and a Frankenstein like 12 inch action figure. And we spent all of Christmas Day watching horror movies watching old black and white monster movies and it's to this day my favorite christmas i've ever had because like you know like you can watch the santa claus with tim allen or something but it's a lot more fun to watch frankenstein on christmas i think (laughs) well i guess it's official now that frankenstein is in fact a christmas movie so absolutely hashtag frankenstein's a christmas movie we're gonna it's about the birth (laughs) of somebody very important which you know is supposedly the true meaning of christmas (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. No, that's actually a really cool memory um, to tie in something that's not what you would expect. You would think that, oh, around Halloween, my dad's just going to show me Frankenstein, but it was like a gift. He like gifted you something he loved. Like your your dad was really into like Universal Monster movies too, right? Like, was that like something he was also obsessed with? Yes. When he was a kid, he was all into those, which back then... Um, you know, he was growing up like in the seventies, uh, you would just have to wait for them to come on TV. So he'd be like hunting TV guy. And the other thing that was very important to him that has not quite passed off on me just because of the time it takes to consume it is dark shadows. He was a obsessive dark shadows fan. Uh, and I I do want to check out like more of the dark shadows movies, but the show is like 20,000 hours long. Like that show ran every day for years. So it would take forever to catch up with it. Now, you recently had a, an episode 
where you were talking about the Dark Shadows remake as part of your uh, 24 hour horror marathon. Was That's that right. was that your movie? I can't remember if it was your movie or one of your guests' movies. It it was it was mine. I programmed it. Um yeah, I saw that movie like back when it first came out. I think it was 2012. And I didn't like it, but I think it was kind of drilled into me by my dad to not like it because he hated it because it's not like the TV show, which it's not. Um, but then my friend Hayden Gilbert, who I have on my podcast a lot, he convinced me to give it a rewatch. And I really like that movie, I got to say. And I think it's getting a slight resurgence because I already know a couple of people who have watched it since that episode and uh, they both liked it. So maybe it's going to make a comeback. I don't know anything about Dark Shadows other than what it is. So I've never really watched any of that stuff before. So I'm kind of curious how it will work for me having zero baggage going into the movie with the TV Probably show. Probably better. Probably better. Because for you, it's just going to be like a mainstream, big budget, gothic horror movie with a tinge of comedy. And uh, and if that sounds good to you, you'll probably like it. But the TV show is deathly serious because it's a it's a soap opera. I mean, what it is, is it's like Days of Our Lives, except there's vampires and werewolves. And it's very deathly serious. And the movie is not. It has a lot more fun with the premise. But I wouldn't call it just like an all-out joke fest. It more just has some good fish-out-of-water jokes. I was just thinking when you were we were just talking about this is so you like a lot of older films and those tend to get remade a lot. So I was just kind of curious how you feel about remakes. Like what is your um, opinion and feeling about about remakes? Because some people don't care. Some people just flat out just hate them. Like where where do you stand on that? That's a great question. I think I'm. I'm more in the don't care camp. I, I'm never going to be mad that a remake exists. If I truly just have no interest in a remake whatsoever, I just don't watch it. And I pretty much forget that it exists. Like the Point Break remake is a great one. Point Break is my favorite, just like straight action movie. It's my favorite of all time. And, uh, and, and the Point Break remake came out. I like barely noticed it came out. I did not watch it. I, I still have not seen it. Um, but there are a lot of remakes actually that I really like, and I'm perfectly happy to like an original next to a remake. I think the mindset going into some remakes that I don't like is I do think the purpose of some remakes is just that here it is, but this time it's not old. So if you want something new, then you'll like this. And I have no interest in that, obviously, because I'm probably more likely to watch the old movie than to watch the new movie. Um, so I want a remake to be different. People a lot of times will like praise a remake by saying, oh, it's really faithful to the original. I could give a shit if it's faithful to the original. Honestly, I don't need it to be like, do something different, make it your own. Um, then then I'm, I'm happy to like it. Um, so there are some remakes that, that I do enjoy for sure. I would say quite a few. And there's sometimes where like I've seen the remake first and like thought, thought it was pretty good. Like Carrie, for instance, I saw the Carrie remake first and I was like, yeah, this is a pretty good movie. And then I saw the original and I was like, okay, this is, this is how it's supposed to be done. I get it. And I've never gone back to the remake again, but there are a lot of remakes I like, and I, I definitely don't get mad at them. I, I don't care if you put out a remake. I mean, my favorite movie of all time is a thing. So clearly a remake doesn't as a remake, doesn't bother me. I think my biggest issue with a remake is generally when it's made by people who just don't give a crap and they're just making it for money and there's no passion and stuff behind it 
You know what I mean? Like, uh, best example I can come up with is that Nightmare on Elm Street reboot that exists. That's just awful. <laughs> I've still never seen it. You're you're not missing out. I, I for years I dreaded it, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna give it a, a chance. And uh, it's got maybe like 20 minutes of a good idea, and then it's just not interesting at that point because I don't think the the director cared. And I know I, I forgot who wrote it, but I know that he's talked about being a big fan of the original. But like I hear that a lot from bad remakes, and like, oh, we love the original. I'm like, eh, do you really? Um, but uh, I don't I don't even really know where I'm going with that. Other than uh, the Point Break remake, I watched 20 minutes of and shut it off so sure yeah you know uh, one remake that a lot of people hate that i actually i'm a fan of i really like rob zombies halloween obviously i love the original better the original is one of my favorite horror movies of all time it's one of everybody's favorite horror movies of all time what am i saying um but that is a remake that really charts its own path does its own thing and when it does do recreations of the original which it has that too um it's still so different that I can enjoy it very comfortably as a totally separate thing. So that's that's kind of an underrated remake that I would throw out. I actually have a funny story about that. Uh, oh, yeah? My my friend Fraser and I, we went to go see it in theaters. It was like a Wednesday because I think Regal was doing like on Wednesdays, it's like $5. So we go see that movie. But so did a Hispanic church, right? So there was okay. a whole theater is just us. And Hispanic families, young kids to, you know, adults, we're talking like five-year-olds and Rob Zombie's Halloween. So we were just like watching this thing going, there's kids in here that are way too young to be watching this. But like, it didn't like affect them or anyway, because they're kids. They don't know what, know what they're watching, but it was just the what? weirdest experience <laughs> I've ever been to. Like just all these families for Rob Zombie's Halloween. I can't believe they stayed the whole time. Like I I thought where that story was going was they were in the wrong theater and then got up and left. If they were in the wrong theater, they were digging it cuz they nobody left. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Wow, all right." So that was always a fun experience what my friend and I always talk about. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So, just a step back here a little bit. I I did ask you to come with five movies. Right? So you got So are the five you have or any of them been remade before? I would, I mean, the thing about classic horror is there are a lot of original ideas in there, but there's a lot of just doing versions of very classic stories and including like very classic novels and such. So like, you know, are those remakes? Are they not like, okay, let's just, you know, rip the bandaid off Dracula. Like, are Dracula movies remakes? Are they remakes of Nosferatu or remakes of Todd Browning's Dracula? Or are they just other adaptations of the novel? Um, so that's what you'll run into a lot with classic horror is just a lot of different adaptations of novels for sure. Uh, but, but, but even besides that, yes, some have been remade. Dracula is actually an interesting uh, thing because the original Dracula film that everyone remembers, the Todd Browning one, like that has not that much. I mean, it's got enough of the book in it, but it's different from the book because I I've never read the the actual book. I'm gonna admit it, but I do know a little bit, and I know a lot of it's like done in like letter form and stuff like that. Just like really interesting way of of writing it. But the movie itself is very much just uh, 
takes like the bones from that and makes its thing. It's actually now, an adaptation of the play technically, which kind of explains some of the differences. So I, I, I wondered, have you found the most accurate Dracula based off the book? It's Coppola's. It's it's definitely Francis Ford Coppola's, and it's kind of in the title. Well, sometimes they say the title's Dracula, sometimes it's Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, but it that that is the most faithful one for sure. I find Bram Stoker interesting because there are a lot of movies that are like Bram Stoker's Mummy's Revenge, and you're like, did he really write a book called Mummy's Revenge? I don't think so, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by a lot, a lot of those horror writers they just get repurposed on so many different movies. I find that so interesting that you don't see that as much anymore. There's no like Stephen King's cat's eye revenge. And it's just like a cat killing people. You know what I mean? Like only, it only feels like it must be a public domain thing, right? Partially. I also just think it's time that Bram Stoker was writing so long ago. I mean, Dracula came out, I believe in 1897, um, but the, he wrote so long ago that nobody's checking the, this stuff. Um, and, uh, and nobody's read anything from Bram Stoker except for Dracula. I mean, some people have, I am not a Bram Stoker, uh, scholar myself, but like the one, a, a couple of weird Stoker adaptations I can think of is hammers blood from the mummy's tomb, supposedly based on Stoker and layer of the white worm, the Ken Russell movie. Supposedly they're both, I believe they're both based on short stories by him. And it might be very, very loosely, but um, I think th- there's at least some kind of short stories out there that those movies took from. Horror short stories always get ad- adapted into movies and they're almost always just like the barest of bones related to those short stories. I always find that's so interesting. And I guess it makes sense because it sort of like gives a person like an idea of something they could do to scare somebody like, Ooh, here's, here's the bones of, of horror and let's flush it out into something scary and whatnot. And it just, uh, yeah, I, I, I know there's a lot of horror books and authors now, and I, I wonder how much horror writing inspires directors now. Like they used to, I kind of like, I know uh, M night Shyamalan is a new movie coming out. That's based off of a, a book written by a guy. It's a book <laughs> by a person. Anyway, sure. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like, uh, I mean, I don't think you would necessarily know either, but. Well, it's funny. I actually just watched a new horror movie that is based on a book that I read, which is My Best Friend's Exorcism. The book was written by Grady Hendrix. And uh, and it's sort of like putting together The Exorcist and something like Beaches or My Best Friend's Wedding or some kind of movie about female friendship. And uh, and the book is 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 fantastic. I really, really love it. It's like a great just teen b- high school book, but it has an exorcism in it and demon possession. Um, and they made a movie of it. It went straight to Amazon Prime. It just came out this past weekend. And the movie is OK. It's very, very faithful. But I think it was maybe faithful to a fault because what is emotional in a book and what is scary in a book is not necessarily the same as a movie. And I think the book really capitalizes on use of time and that like the characters spend so much time going through so much that by the end, it they packs such an emotional punch and doing that in a quick 90 minutes, uh, just kind of going through the cliff notes of a book 
didn't quite work. That's why sometimes you need somebody like Stanley Kubrick who can say, okay, yeah, this is a good book, but let me do what works in film and take it in a different direction. Um, so that, that's just kind of a side point about adaptations, but all that to say, yeah, they do adapt. Uh, they do adapt horror books still. I would love to get Grady Hendrix on my show one day because that dude knows so much about movies. It's kind of ridiculous. Like all the stuff that like we combined our powers together, we were still losing trivia to this guy. <laughs> oh yeah. I, at least about books for sure. I, I know he's very, very knowledgeable about paperbacks. Obviously he wrote paperbacks from hell. So I'll just kind of go back a little bit. You were saying okay. your first two episodes of Cowboys podcast was hammer. Uh, what is it about Hammer that you love? And what were some of the first Hammer movies you saw that we were like, oh my God, I, I love this. Okay, so uh, the three Hammer movies I referenced that I watched on TV as a kid were Horror of Dracula, Curse of Frankenstein, which are their two first big Gothic films, and Curse of the Werewolf, which is their only werewolf movie they ever made, sadly enough. And uh, gosh, uh what I love so much about them. One, I love the actors. These are supposedly cheaper, schlockier movies in the 50s and 60s. Uh, they did not receive a lot of respect. But um, they had these act, these British actors in them that are giving these movies everything they have. I mean, you have Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, who are now known as two of the greatest actors ever, two of the most iconic actors ever. And these actors treat these movies like they're Shakespeare. Even when Dracula didn't care about, sorry, even when Christopher Lee didn't care about playing Dracula, you would never know it off of the movies. He's always giving it his all. Um, I really, really love the, I, I think what I love is I like schlocky horror that is taken seriously. When you have schlocky horror and people are like winking at the camera and kind of goofing on it, there are good versions of that. I'm less interested. I I, I kind of say like, if you're going to ask me to spend my time watching your story, you can at least take the story seriously so I can take it seriously. And Hammer always takes their stories very seriously, um, even when they are sleazier or something. Um, I just love the kind of classic stories that they tell. I love the Dracula story, the Frankenstein story, the Jekyll and Hyde story. These are all things they've tackled a lot. But um, everything about a Hammer movie is interesting because the costumes are always beautiful. The sets are always great. So no matter what's going on, you're always looking at something that looks amazing. So that's great. Lots of good practical monster makeup and monster effects. Um, I actually find them compared to a lot of other old, old horror movies to be very snappy, both in the dialogue and in the pace. I've heard some people refer to Hammer movies as being slow. I don't know what they're talking about because I've seen slow old horror movies and Hammer movies have, almost all of them have a really great pep to them. Uh, they take these expansive stories like Dracula and boil it down to the essentials and clip through it at a great pace. Um, so I just find them very entertaining uh, all the way through. And then just, you know, if you like Universal Monsters movies, like here's the version with blood and boobs or at least cleavage and, if you're a horror fan, you, you probably like that to some degree. So Hammer just takes those classic movies and makes them a little more exploitation-y. And uh, we all like that, you know? <laughs> For sure. I have a friend who actually just watched his first Hammer movie the other day. Uh, what was it? Um, I think it was Curse of Frankenstein, I believe. Okay, yeah. And he, he was 
the thing that struck him most was just how there were how loud it was. Not in like uh it's just the music's loud, but just like the 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 colors pop. You know, there's like you were talking about the dialogue is just a little bit more like crisper. It must it could be just the British of them uh that has a lot to do with it, but like he was just it's, it's unlike horror movies today or of the last whatever. Like there's when you see a hammer, you know it's hammer. And uh, I'm also new to Hammer myself, too. Like, last year I watched Horror of Dracula. And that was, like, maybe my third Hammer movie and my first Dracula one. And that movie blew me away. Like, it is seriously, like, one of the most... I, I, I basically just watched that thing. I couldn't turn away. Like, it was just the, the costumes and, you know, just... It felt... It feels modern still. I think that's why they're probably still so beloved i'm guessing yeah i i love i love horror of dracula so much and horror of dracula is actually less faithful to the brown stoker book than even the todd browning one is it has very little in common with the book far less and um but they just find a way to make it such a fast moving story that fits so perfectly into 90 minutes you know it doesn't feel like a big story that they kind of cliff notes through um it just feels perfectly paced throughout. And I, I do love period pieces in general. I like a period piece. And I think it is partially because there's always something great to look at. You're not watching people walk around in like t-shirts and jeans, which I can go to Walmart and I can look at people walk around in t-shirts and jeans. Uh, but you can see people walk around like 1800s, 1700s clothing, and it's just more interesting. And I was thinking about this today. Like, why do I like period pieces so much? I have noticed something in movies today obviously movies that take place in present day, they keep making me watch Instagram feeds. This is very common now. You'll have characters get their phone out and then the screen turns into an Instagram feed and shows like the reels that they're watching. And I'm like, I didn't buy a ticket to the movies to watch an Instagram reel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you're never going to have to deal with that with a period piece. You don't have to deal with the, the technologies that make our lives easier and sometimes even better today, but like kind of boring to watch on screen, you know? So we just kind of, we, we don't have to watch people text and I would prefer that, I think. Yeah, there's a reason why movies now that are being made are still like, oh, we're going to do an 80s style horror movie because it's so much easier to get tension when you have no phone. Right. We're yeah. like, like, they have to go through all sort of, rigmaroles to like get somebody's cell phone not to work and it's just sort of like this it's just you're putting too much elbow grease into this so might as well just make a movie that takes place in the 80s but then you but a lot of the times now it feels forced or fake in the 80s movies set ones and it's just i don't know i would i would i would like it if they could come up with better ways to get around the cell phone issue without putting so much elbow grease into it and that's why i like old watching older movies because they had no idea cell phones existed they were just like trying to figure out how to make it so they go in the basement <laughs> you know what sure. i mean so so i know how how, how what you're saying about watching like older films in that way and it also allows you to sort of focus more i think on the scares or the drama or the laughs i think too by seeing something that's not something you could go outside to see i'm thinking sure yeah and I, i'm just very interested in the past um 
I, I do like to, I got, and this is another thing I got from my dad. Like my dad loves antique stores and growing up, I thought that was weird. And now I'm like, I do really think it's interesting seeing things that are very, very old. Um, I just took a trip to Pennsylvania recently. I was in Philadelphia and like, I got to see where the declaration of independence was signed. And I just thought it was so interesting being in that old, being in independence hall and seeing the, the chair that George Washington sat in. And I just found it all fascinating. Um, so I do just have my, but again, I'm, I'll reference him again. Uh, we talk a lot these days on podcasts and such, um, Hayden Gilbert, he's talked about this, how he romanticizes a past that he was never a part of and knows that it wasn't actually great. wasn't actually a great time, but there's still just a romanticization there. And I, I have that too, for sure. Like, I don't believe that the time period in which Hammer movies were made or Universal Monsters movies were made or whatever, I do not believe they were better than today. Uh, they weren't. They were not at all. Things have improved. Things are better now than they were back then. Like I hear, I hear people say all the time, we're living in the craziest time politically ever for America. And I'm like, no, the civil war was the craziest time. It will always be the craziest time, but uh, things are better now than they used to be in so many ways. But I still am just so interested in the past. I don't want to go there, but I think it's fascinating. And I like to watch it in movies. Was your dad also into hammer or did you introduce him like, Hey dad, I found this hammer thing doing these Dracula movies you should check them out with me like is that how that I, worked I believe I introduced him yeah if he saw any Hammer movies when he was a kid I I don't know about it but I did find them on TV and um over the years I've been showing him more and more of them so uh so yeah I guess that you kind of just blew my mind there because I'm realizing I guess is that one reason that I like Hammer better than Universal Monsters which I do overall is it because it's like my thing and I found it I don't know maybe I, I wish I could answer that for you, but uh, <laughs> no, that's okay. No, so you you were telling me your dad watched a lot of this stuff uh, on TV as a kid. I'm assuming you also watched a lot of movies on TV as a kid as well. What were some of your television stations that you remember growing up watching? So I don't have a lot of TV memories because most of my whole childhood we just had the basic local channels. I got the Hammer movies when we had, I believe it was Dish Network for two years because my parents, uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and my parents got some kind of special deal for just two years and we had it for those two years. So I would tape movies off of that. And the, again, like the main movies I remember taping off of TV were Hammer and Vincent Price. But uh, I did love superhero cartoons as a kid. I was obsessed. And I do remember every Saturday morning waking up early, I remembered the Batman was on at 7.30 in the morning. This was not the Batman animated series because that was on in the 90s. I would have been a little too young. This was the Batman, which was the next Batman series, which is my main growing up with Batman show. Uh, and I would try to get up at 7.30 in the morning on Saturdays. Did not always succeed, but tried so I could watch Batman and watch a lot of superhero cartoons and such. Um, and that was definitely very important to me. So... Um, just kind of going back and back to superheroes. And that's also the main thing I remember going to see in theaters too. When I was a kid, it was mostly superhero movies. It wasn't until much later in life when I started going to see other things. When I grew up, I grew up in the eighties cause I'm like 15 years older than you are, sure, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, which, uh, which is wild. Cause like, I feel like I'm peers with a lot of people 
but then I'm just like, man, I'm old. But uh, <laughs> so you know, it's it's interesting to see because I one of the things about my show I like is to find out like how they got into movies versus you know like in my eighties you'd have like uh, I got basic cable. I was lucky to have it and regular TV and they would show movies all the time. But nowadays it's a lot harder. It's a lot more streaming and stuff like that. But in the, what was it the early two thousands you were watching the, the, the cartoons and yeah and whatnot. And I, I think other than probably like me TV or something, there wasn't a whole lot of movies necessarily shown on the antenna. Uh, so did, did you have a video store that you went to or were there not even video stores at the time? I don't know what young people do anymore. <laughs> I love video stores. We did have video stores. I have a lot of video store memories. I remember we had one that was about a 30 minute walk from my house. And I don't remember exactly how old I was. I was pretty young. I think like around 10, 11, I got this little electric moped, I think for my birthday, and it was like plug into the wall charge, but it was this little electric bike that's made for little kids. And I remember I would regularly ride it from my house to this video store and I didn't have money on me, but I just walked around and looked at covers. (laughs) I would literally ride all the way over there to just walk around and look at covers. And I remember, I remember two movies in particular, just really kind of drooling over and just wanting so bad but believing I wouldn't be allowed to see it because I was protected from a lot of stuff when I was a kid. I had, I wasn't allowed to see a lot of things. Um, I remember so wanting to watch again, superheroes, Hellboy and the Punisher, which both came out in 2004. And I wanted to see them so bad. And I did eventually get to see both, both with my dad, Hellboy first, because it was PG 13, but I did eventually get to see the Punisher too. Those are like the main movies. I remember just staring at wanting so bad. I find it interesting when I talk to people that are younger, if they talk about how they didn't see a lot of R-rated or more like uh, adult or whatnot movies growing up, where for me in the 80s, like my parents didn't care. So I'm watching like Nightmare on Elm Street when I'm like five, you know, <laughs> you know, and I find that so, so interesting. And I, I kind of wonder, did that make like even more you're more obsessed with seeing like the punisher and feeling that like you were doing something naughty or like what was that like that feeling when you when you got to see like an r-rated movie yeah yeah well i think it might have made it more special because like i remember I, i i clearly remember these websites that i would go to they were like parents guide sites and they would tell you all the content in the movie like how many s words there are how many f words are there are is there nudity i would go to these sites so that i could like make a case to my parents about why it would be okay for me to see certain things but um yeah like the build-up might have been i'll tell you when i finally did get to see the punisher i didn't think it was very good so it was a little bit of a letdown hellboy was not loved hellboy um but yeah i remember when i turned about 12 or 13 i think it was 12 my dad started to show me all the 80s 90s action movies like i was he would show me the schwarzeneggers the van dams the seagals the stallone movies and those are also some of my favorite childhood memories like it was so amazing when i was finally allowed to watch all those movies and i loved them so much and that's, and I, I told you off mic, uh, my wife and I are expecting a baby in about four months and it is a boy. 
Um, we've already announced this on social media, so I don't have a problem saying that. And I'm so excited for like when he's like around 12 or something where I'm going to show him all those Van Damme movies, those Schwarzenegger movies. Like I want to recreate that for him. And I'm super excited. Yeah. I think that is a nice thing about you having a relationship with your, with your dad, with movies, like it's definitely carried into your life and how you want to do it for, for your kid. And I do am wondering then what, like, do you have like a movie plan in mind for how you introduce like a child to the concept of movies oh man i've i've thought about this a lot because something i'm very concerned about is attention span i feel like there's so much problem with with little kids these days with attention spans and that they're just kind of allowed to run free on like youtube and stuff and they watch like people play video games on youtube and that's what i want to I want to protect my kid from YouTube more than I want to protect him from like R-rated movies. Cause I just don't want him to just be like scrolling through stuff and streaming services and like clicking on things and bailing and clicking on something else. Like I do want to do my best to instill like that movies matter, like they're important. And when you sit down to watch a movie, it's an experience that matters. It's not just you're clicking into a something on a streaming service and you watch it for five minutes and see if it's, if it's caught your attention enough or you bail on it and go to something else. Like, that's what I really want to avoid. So I kind of want to avoid streaming services altogether for as long as I can and just kind of focus on the physical media. And that's what I have here because I want it to feel more special. Uh, but I have thought about, like, what do we watch at certain ages? Like, the the biggest things that I'm most concerned about showing him and making sure it's special is Universal Monsters, obviously, but also Star Wars and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And especially Star Wars and Spider-Man, that Spider-Man trilogy, like I want to wait until he'll remember it. Like, I don't want to just put it on when he's like three. But then I'm like, am I going to be able to resist not just putting on Star Wars? <laughs> am I going to wait until he's like five or six? I, I I don't know. And I'm sure there are a lot of people, list, I'm sure you have a lot of listeners who are parents who are like, oh, you're thinking too much about this. I don't know. But um, it's definitely occupied a lot of my brain lately, for sure. I don't think you're the only one that's ever done that. Cause like <clears throat> I've, I've thought about that too. And when I was, you know, before I decided we were just not going to go that route, but I like, I think we all who are into movies, we also think about, and even though if you're not into movies, you kind of think about what your legacy is going to be, you know? And I think when you have a, a kid, um, especially, you want to pass on like the stuff that you love. So like that could continue, but also I'm sure you want to grow his love of, of something like he might love music or, or whatnot. You know, and I think it's uh, a balance of not just forcing your thing on, on your kid and having them discover stuff, but also showing them. I, I feel like that's gotta be a, a difficult balance to, to make that, I'm sure you're going to do a, a fine job of doing it, but you know, something to think about, I guess. Yeah, no. I, and I've, I've talked to my wife about that, about how like, I don't need him to like, like all the things that I like, but I, I don't want the reason that he doesn't like something I like to be that like, because it's old or because I can't pay attention to it. You know, like I want to make sure that I've like done the best I can to cultivate his intelligence 
so that he can accept things from any era or accept things even if they're not as like I, I I saw Minions the Rise of Gru recently and it was like the movies in fast forward like they're so terrified that it's going to lose a kid's attention so it's zooming through everything um like I just want to make sure that he can't only watch stuff like that like the, the an attention span is cultivated and as long as like that's okay like he can you know be into whatever thing and I'm very excited to find out what he's into and like maybe he can introduce I'm sure he'll introduce me to things too um, so yeah, like you said, that's a balance and, uh, and something that I'm sure will be, uh, a lifelong journey, you know, I'm sure. How, how much has your, your dad influenced your thought process having a kid? Has he got good advice for you? Quite, quite a bit. I mean, he's at least so far, he's not like volunteering a lot of unsolicited advice, which is cool. Uh, not like, you know, some other relatives. Um, but I, he was always a great dad. I've always had a great relationship with him. And I'm sure that's the main reason that I've always wanted to be a dad. So, I mean, he's probably influenced it in like every way, you know, but I'm sure a lot of it's subconscious. And what was your relationship with your, your mom? My relationship, <laughs> this is getting very, <laughs> my relationship with my mom is fine. Um, we don't have a lot in common. And we, when I was a teenager, we butt heads a lot. Our relationship is much nicer now, but um, we don't have a lot in common. And she's not like into pretty much anything that I'm into, but my dad is. So, yeah, it wasn't necessarily like a gotcha question. I was just curious. No, yeah, because like, because like, um, like my wife and I, we don't necessarily have everything in common. Um, but like, you know, we have our own people and stuff we talk to and whatnot like uh my like i my my parents were interesting because they weren't movie people and they liked movies and they would go to the cinema or whatever but like i kind of discovered all that stuff on my own they just sort of let me go and do my own thing um which uh really uh was one way to cultivate my own love of different particular movies so it's it's really interesting to kind of see from your perspective of like your dad like being like, hey, check this out, check this movie out. And I think that's pretty cool. Uh, speaking of pretty cool, I'm looking in your background. You got a lot of movies, and one of the things that I want to actually ask all my guests now because is how do you arrange your movies on your shelves? So if I have a at least semi-decent collection of a boutique label i will separate them like i've got a shelf of kino lorbers i've got a shelf of scream factories i've got you know some a a big chunk of warner archives and such and, and criterion of course so i do separate those kind of labels and i arrange them alphabetically uh, the only thing that's not alphabetical is my Vestron collection because they're numbered. So those are in number order. Everything else is alphabetical. And then I have like a big main shelf that has all the miscellaneous stuff. Anything that's not a boutique label or is a boutique label that I don't have very much of, like say Synapse. I only have a few from Synapse. So those are mixed into everything else. Um, so major labels separated, but pretty much everything is alphabetical. And how does how does your wife feel about all the physical media? Is she into movies too? Like, did she come down here and like look through movies and find stuff, or like she, what is what is that? Like? She's into movies like a normal person, <laughs> pretty much. Um, like, she enjoys watching movies with me, 
but she doesn't go down all the crazy paths that I go down. She, you know, watches more normal stuff, although it's always cool when I show her something weirder and she really gets into it. Doesn't always happen, but it does happen sometimes. Uh, she is not unsupportive of how many movies I own, but um, I, I own a lot of movies. And sometimes she's like, why do you need all of these? And I'm like, oh, because. Um, but they're all in the basement, so they're not like in her way or anything. So uh, it's fine. Yeah, I'm always jealous when I see somebody who's like, hey, I just bought the the five new Vinegar Syndrome movies. I'm just like, I don't know how you do it, but obviously it's just budgeting. <laughs> Yeah, perspective. For sure. For but sure, I, I think though it's really cool to have a partner that um gives you the encouragement just to be yourself and you know do the stuff that you like and you like movies and the physical media or whatever. And I think that's really cool to hear. I like uh that stuff, and I think that's bodes very well for for you guys and and your new boy coming out. So. You know, congratulations on that. I think that's pretty great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, so I did ask you to bring five movies, uh, old movies. And uh, since it's the spooky season, as they call it now, I figured, you know, and we're doing this in October, let's let's kind of get some five classics to, to watch. You know, and my listeners may not even know about these movies, so. What uh what have you decided to put on your list? So I've got I've got two lists and I'm gonna ask you to decide which one I should do. So I, I made an actual top five, and it is my for sure top five classic horror films. But I feel like it's kind of basic. Like I kind of think the basic ones are basic for a reason because they're amazing. Um, so then I also made a list of like a recommendations list. They're not my top five, but they're five that I love that maybe people don't know as well which direction do you think I should go? Well, to make the long uh, answer is I love lists. Okay. Right right now there's a top 101 scariest movie moments on Shudder. There is, yeah. And I love the bottom half of lists, right? Because 100 through 50, 101 through 50 is like, these are the ones where they're like, um, where they can experiment and be like, hey, how about this movie? Because you know the top 10 is going to be like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you know, the the Shining, stuff you already know. But like, this is where you discover like stuff that like nobody really talks about as much. So that's why I want the recommendation one because this could be something that even my, I might not have even seen. So, okay, know, cool. Let's do that was, one. I was kind of hoping you'd say that. Um, so my first one is Dr. X which is from 1932. Uh, it was directed by Michael Curtiz while Universal was making their like classic monster movies. Warner Brothers was doing it too, but with some kind of weirder stories. And uh, and that's one thing that Dr. X is. Dr. X is about how there is a serial killer going around killing people. And there is a scientist who's played by Lionel Atwell who, who's doing this kind of crazy mad science research to be able to find out who the serial killer is by like studying serial killer brains or something like that. Um, what's really cool about this movie is it's actually in color. It's a very, very early version of how to do color, which it's um, three strip technicolor. It's called, it's technically only three colors and they 
I don't know all the technical process, but it is a gorgeous movie. It almost looks like every frame is painted by hand, not in a way that like a colorized movie does, but it's very artistic. It's very beautiful. So it's a very cool looking movie. Um, these old Warner Brothers horror movies, they almost feel like they're half horror, half screwball comedy. So there's like this plot with this wisecracking New York reporter who's like going around, like investigating the serial killer too and investigating this mad scientist. And it's kind of got a great like 1930s screwball comedy uh, angle to it. But the serial killer who you do see uh, head on is horrifying looking. The makeup is incredible. He's like this terrifying monster. And there is, without spoiling too much, there's a transformation scene. And it and it, it introduces this element of body horror of, of seeing a guy kind of become this killer monster thing. And it's really, really cool. So I really dig this movie. And it's only an hour and 16 minutes long. So it's nice and quick. I have heard of that movie, but I had no idea what it was about. And now that is on the top of my list already. See, I'm glad this list exists because... I'm like, shoot, I got to go check that one out. That sounds pretty crazy. And I love a short movie. I just watched Forbidden World, which is barely a movie. It's like an hour and 10 minutes long. It's Is it that Roger Corman alien movie? It's one of them, yeah. But this one is basically like half, like the first few minutes and the last few minutes are just like quick shots of scenes from the movie you're going to see or the movie you just saw. Uh, there's a sex scene. There's a scene yeah, where two naked girls are talking and then it's over. And then it was like, I don't know if this is good or not, but I'm glad I watched it. <laughs> I, I remember that. I watched that around the same time that I saw Galaxy of Terror. Those are kind yeah, of, those good movies double. are kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Good double. Uh, what's uh, the next movie on your list there? Uh, next movie is a movie I've kind of talked about on my podcast fairly frequently. So if any of my listeners are listening, I'm sorry for talking about this movie again. Uh, but it is The Gorgon from 1964. It's my favorite Hammer movie that doesn't have Dracula or Frankenstein in it. It's a Medusa movie, essentially. It uh, takes place in this small European village, of course. And uh, there is a Medusa creature that lives in this gothic house up on a hill. And if anybody comes into contact with it and looks at it, they turn to stone. There just aren't a lot of Medusa horror movies out there. And this is one of them. It has one of the best hammer cast. It does have Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee and Barbara Shelley. Um, and ultimately like it is a horror movie, but it has an almost like Guillermo del Toro um, tone of Gothic romance. Like it's a, actually a very, very romantic film. Um, and the Gothic atmosphere is just completely off the charts. Uh, the Medusa creature it doesn't look real. A lot of people who made the movie were very disappointed in it because the snakes do not move. Barbara Shelley, um, who, who was the one where, well, no, she didn't actually, uh, a different actress wore the snakes on her head, but that person wanted actual snakes on the head and they didn't do that. So it's fake snakes. They don't really move or slither. Uh, but that's kind of the only downside. Um, I think it's a really, really great movie. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I had to go quickly look at my letterbox review of the movie because that was one of the first ones that I, I saw, believe it or not, in 2020. Oh, cool. I just finally watched Hammer in 2020. Uh, but uh, I really did like this one. And you were mentioning earlier how they only did the one werewolf movie. But in many ways, the Gorgon is a werewolf movie because there's, you know, she's not always 
uh, Medusa type character, you know, so that has that sort of vibe to it. But uh, Christopher Lee's awesome in it. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. So for those who haven't seen it, that's a good one too. Because like when you think of Hammer, there's a lot of ones that are more famous, but I think this is a good one. Yeah, you're right about the werewolf comparison. Um, and and Hammer was a lot better than Universal Monsters at including female monsters. Um, Universal Monsters, they've only got like a couple. There's more with Hammer. Like there's another movie called The Reptile, which is another female monster and also another werewolf kind of movie, except turning into a snake-like reptile creature. Um, so those movies kind of go hand in hand, although The Reptile is not near as good as The Gorgon. Yeah, I also was thinking too that I would love to see a female director kind of tackle like a, a modern version of this of the story. I think it would be really cool. This story, yeah, there was actually a really, I thought it was a really good gothic horror film that came out this year that was by a female director, which was The Invitation, which is kind of a, a riff on Dracula. It was in theaters fairly recently. It'll probably be on like VOD before too long, but I did really like that one. And that one was from a female perspective. Yeah, I saw the trailer like three times, uh, <laughs> like leading up to when it came out. And uh, apparently the trailer shows most of the movie. So for those who want to check out the invitation, don't watch the trailer. I actually so, didn't see a trailer. Yeah, I just, just heard it was a blind. Dracula movie and I was yeah. like, okay, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, go in blind because they apparently show like 99% of the movie. That's a, thing. That's a thing these days. Shout out to the Barbarian trailer for like not telling us anything. I, apparently I was I was reading that they're when they're trying to attract a younger audience to a movie they younger people really need to know what they're getting themselves into or they're just not interested right so that's yeah. why they show a lot and I think bodies bodies body showed a lot of that movie as well um so uh, that's kind of interesting I'm gonna have a friend on at some point who's pretty young. I'm going to ask him about how he feels about that. That should be interesting. But That will be interesting, yeah. So we've got uh, your uh, Hammer film. What's the next one on your, on your list? Uh, this is probably a more famous... This is a more famous one, uh, but it's House of Wax from 1953, um, which is technically a remake of... Um, oh, gosh. Mystery of the Wax Museum, which all was also by a similar team that made Dr. X, actually. Uh, but I am of the opinion that the remake, which, hey, look, we're talking about remakes again, is far better than the original. Uh, this is starring Vincent Price. I wanted to get a Vincent Price movie in here. And it is about a wax sculptor who very much fancies himself a very serious artist who his uh, his museum and his wax figures all burn down and he presumably burns down with them. Uh, but he survives and he is back on his bullshit making wax figures but this time he's making a macabre haunted house and maybe just maybe he's murdering people to make his wax figures. And um, it's like one of the most entertaining movies out there. I think like it's crazy fun. It almost has a little bit of the energy of a 1950s Western because it takes place in America during like the 1800s. Um, so it's almost like it's taken. it's like around a Western, but it's in this like slightly nicer town. Vincent Price is just chewing all the scenery. It's kind of an early slasher movie because he puts on like a kind of a Jack the Ripper type clothing and goes out and, and butchers people with his scary face. And uh, <laughs> it's super fun. I love it. Vincent Price is a lot of fun to watch on screen. Um, like I, I watched The Tingler and he, he's just like 
smooth as butter and like everything he does. So um, that's another one I haven't seen. So oh, really, oh, you'd love it, man! It's so yeah. fun. I saw the House of Wax uh, movie that they did in the two thousands recently. Dark Castle, yeah, which that is remakes, which another is remake real like. good. Yeah, just real, the I think the reason why that movie works is the production design is fantastic. Uh, how's the production design on the fifties House of Wax? It's fantastic. The wax figures look really, really good. Um, I mean, you know, this classic horror films, they just looked really good in these days. Also, what's one thing that's fun about this movie is it is in three, it was in 3D. So there's some very Friday the 13th part 3D type moments. Like there's a scene where a guy is uh playing with a yo-yo and the yo-yo is just going towards the screen. I would like give anything to see this in a theater in 3D. That would be incredible. But um, that's just kind of an added you know kind of chicky flavor to the movie i think i would like avatar even more if they were doing a yo-yo towards you on the screen absolutely like (laughs) i saw the last 3d movie i saw was i saw star wars the rise of skywalker in 3d not the first time and i i'm actually one of the rare fans of that movie but you know they don't do anything with the 3d there it's just the, the people are slightly coming toward like they're just slightly more towards you i don't know they're not even coming towards you or anything i'm i'm more a fan of the schlocky uh direction of 3d for sure i re- i remember when i was a kid my sister went to go see jaws e and i was like man i want to go i want to go and i was like can't go i mean you're too young they're they're old enough but you're not old enough and i was like oh man i want to see jaws 3d i eventually saw jaws 3d and uh when that shark is coming at you and it doesn't even move like it's not doing the fins or nothing. I don't know if you remember Jaws three, but it's the most ridiculous three D effect of all time. It just smashes into a window and he stops, comes right at you. But like, man, what I wouldn't give to see that in three D though. I've still never seen Jaws three or four. Oh man, look, I'm telling you, you gotta watch Jaws three and four. I don't care what anyone says; they're terrible movies. But you know, Michael Caine's in there. How else are you gonna know how he bought bought his house? <laughs> you know? it's especially weird because jaws is my second favorite movie of all time really? and it wasn't that long ago when i finally forced myself to watch the sequel because like jaws is like it's like it's too important to me <laughs> to watch the rest of the franchise and i didn't like jaws 2 i know a lot of other people do but i'm still trepidatious about three and four all right so i gotta back up a little bit here so jaws is your second favorite horror movie of all time no, it's my second or favorite movie of, movie all, of time. all time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's in, it's in my uh, top two. There's Thing, and then there's Jaws. Jaws is the one of the most important movies in my life. And I got to know how you discovered Jaws. Oh, man. So when I was a kid, I was obsessed with sharks. I loved sharks. I got a bunch of books about sharks. I read about sharks all the time. Um, I ever, So many kids go through a phase where they want to be a marine biologist. I went through that phase. But then, of course, I found out that if you're a marine biologist, you're just sitting out on a boat a lot of the times away from everybody you know, and I didn't want to do that. But I was obsessed with sharks. I This this kind of goes into what you were talking about, about movies you're not allowed to see being built up. I wanted to see Jaws so badly. And Jaws is, is the scariest movie my mom has ever seen. No movie has ever scared her as much as Jaws because her parents took her to see it in the theater when she was seven years old. So it absolutely traumatized her. Uh, She wouldn't go in the water for so long because of it. 
So she was like trying to protect me from Jaws for a long time. And then I remember I got the DVD for Christmas and it came with a letter written by my mom of rules. Like I couldn't watch it around my sisters. I couldn't watch it around my mom. Uh, there were like designated times I was allowed to watch it. So this movie was extremely built up for me and it it lived up it lived up to all the hype. I was obsessed with it and I I have been ever since I was a kid. That is so far the best story about how someone kind of draws that <laughs> I've heard your mom writing that letter. I think that's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I uh I used to rent that all the time at the library. Oh and nice. I'd watch it and I'd be scared. I couldn't watch it. But then the next time I'm like, okay, I'm right to Jaws again. They're like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm watching, watching Jaws. And I watched it be like, watched the whole way through. I'm like, this is the best. Then I went, rented it again. I'm like, nope, can't do it. It was the weirdest thing. Like every other time I was too scared to watch Jaws. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I, I just, I went to see it on IMAX recently with uh, my wife and some of our friends. And our friend who's never seen Jaws before is also very scared, jumped when the head uh comes through she jumped like off of her chair it was the greatest thing ever i was like oh my god finally someone jumped out of her checks i saw it it was a great and she did it like two more times it was the best oh i got a story for that too i actually i've seen jaws theatrically three times uh but the first time i saw it was maybe around 10 years ago and uh and i saw it in a packed theater and uh and the whole crowd erupted when the head with the head when the head came out in front of the window, uh, people screamed like the whole theater jumped. It was amazing. Oh, Jaws, I love you. Uh, all right, so what's uh, movie number four? Okay, movie number four. Uh, so this, uh, I believe, is the most underrated Universal Monsters movie, and it's Son of Dracula. It is the third movie in their Dracula series. They actually did have like a little Dracula franchise, but it's very unfortunate that Bela Lugosi is only in one of them, other than, of course, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, but Son of Dracula is their third movie. It stars Lon Chaney Jr. as Dracula. He is just Dracula. I don't really know why it's called Son of Dracula. He's not the son of Dracula. He's just Dracula. But um, it is the story of Dracula, except instead of taking place in London, it takes place in um, the South, in America. Uh, so it, it it has this really great like Louisiana Southern Gothic feel to it. And um, it actually has some of the most interesting protagonists in a Universal Monsters movie. That's another reason I prefer Hammer is I think Hammer is better with protagonists. Uh, Universal Monsters, there's a fair number of movies that have kind of boring leads. This movie has really interesting people. There's this couple that are engaged, but the woman is getting less interested in him because she's getting very into the occult and dark shit. And she's corresponding by letter with this Count Dracula in Transylvania. And she arranges for him to come visit her. And he comes and basically takes over everything. He takes her, marries her, um, turns her into a vampire. And he's taken over now that that family's estate. And uh, the, the one downside to it is Lon Chaney Jr. is not a great Dracula. The main problem with him is Lon Chaney Jr. seems as American as John Wayne. It's very hard to buy him as a count from Transylvania, but he's still intimidating. He's got a good uh, presence to him, even so, if you look past that. And it's a beautiful atmospheric movie uh, with actually some really interesting dark stuff going on between the characters. 
Um, so um, I, I think it's maybe a little looked down upon because Lon Chaney Jr. just seems really stupid as Dracula. But um, I think there's it has a lot going for it, even so. I think one of my favorite parts about the Universal Monster Movies now, looking back, is it's basically a cinematic universe before there were cinematic universes. Absolutely. I think, I think that's super cool. And I understand why they tried to do the the dark universe. <laughs> the yeah. Tom Cruise thing, which, man, I really wish that took off because I would love to see where the how crazy that would have went. I do too. Like I, I would have loved a sequel to that mummy movie. Cause that mummy movie was not good. I didn't like it, but Sophia Botella is so good as the mummy. Like I would have, I would have loved a sequel focusing on her. That could have been great. Yeah. She's uh very underrated. I, I like her in a lot of stuff. Me too. So, you know, pour one out for the dark universe. Hey man, <laughs> I, I actually on cobwebs, I did a whole podcast series on the dark universe. Uh, we did six episodes talking about six different 2000s Universal Monsters reboots, and we like paired them with with older movies too. And uh, so I I have a lot of Dark Universe running through my veins at this point. <laughs> oh man, uh, what could have been? Yeah. Uh, so uh, number five, what's your last movie on this list? All movies I have never seen, by the way, so far, okay. except for Gorgon. No, that's right. That's Three right, out of one. two out of three, I've never seen. So I had, I don't even know. I can't count. (laughs) My math stinks. Anyway. So I had to put a Val Luton movie on here. Um, Val Luton is probably like the, the most important run of horror movies in the 1940s. Um, He was a producer who was basically just given titles by his studio, which I believe was RKO. Um, They would just give him a title and say, Hey, just go make a horror movie with this title and we'll release it. And he would take these very schlocky titles and he would turn them into sort of like the 1940s equivalent of like a 24 horror. They just, these very dread induced, subtle character focused horror movies where you don't see a lot of horror. It just has a lot of uh, dark suggestion to it. Cat people is the most famous one. My personal favorite one is my number five. And that's, I walked with a zombie. Uh, apparently there was a magazine article that was very salacious, uh, you know, like trying to get people to buy it based on things being spooky. That was called, I walked with a zombie and the studio said, Hey, we like this title. Go make a movie based on this. And what he did essentially is kind of a version of Jane Eyre. Uh, it's a story. It's a very Gothic romance story about a man who has an invalid wife who brings a nurse over to his uh, Southern. No, uh, it takes place like on an Island, but uh, he brings his, a nurse over to take care of her. Uh, the nurse and he fall in love. And it's just very, this tragic love story that sort of can never be. Um, but there's voodoo zombie stuff going on. Uh, zombies were not really zombies prior to night of the living dead. For the most part, they were very much about uh, they're very seeped in Haitian culture uh and, and voodoo and stuff like that and that's what you get in this movie so you can't go into this movie expecting like a zombie zombie movie because it's way subtler than that but it's a really spooky atmospheric movie that i think is a great romance movie and i did a podcast on it on cobwebs and i was like i was like half joking but also serious i find this a very sexy movie i think the romance is like pretty hot especially for a 1940s movie so um i do recommend it as a romance film but also uh it's a very atmospheric spooky haitian zombie movie 
this is another blind spot. Val Luton is a huge blind spot for me. Probably because I focus so much on like 80s movies a lot. Or I don't sure. travel back in time as much, but I, I I am starting to like go back to that stuff. And I think I'm in that headspace now where I can really appreciate it more now than I maybe would have back in back in the day. But uh the the the, the pre Night of Living Dead zombie films are are interesting. Uh just from the atmosphere from the uh, they're not the most um, delicate when it comes to you know black white relations and and those films so you know they're definitely of its time um, but it's interesting to to kind of see how people from like uh, other from like America or, or England look at like Haiti and stuff like that I always find that so interesting and kind of like white zombie is a good one i like white zombie you know yeah just with Legosi. a lot of a lot of uh that's just very atmospheric and whatnot and val luton from what i've seen from documentaries and stuff like he was really good with like shadows right um and that kind of stuff so i think like he must really like get what it takes to get that atmosphere on screen so I'm excited to check that one out. And, and you make you also make a good point about the inherent cultural insensitivity of voodoo zombie movies. And I will just say, especially because this movie takes place in 1943, if people are concerned, some there are a lot of old movies. It's one of the worst things about old movies where black actors and characters are kind of treated like a joke and it sucks. It's awful. They're not treated like a joke in this movie. Um, there's some good performances given by black actors. Um, they're not stupid comic relief or something like that. So I think this is kind of a progressive movie, at least for 1943. That, yeah, that's that's good to hear. And I, we've definitely got a long way there, and still still more more to go. But you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely a, an interesting sounding movie, and and I do appreciate some of the more like subtle horror movies that you get back in the day, you know? So this one definitely sounds like it's up that alley. Yeah. You do have like subtle horror movies like this, but then you also have like the silliest stuff ever, like, especially in the 1950s when it's just like a rubber monster, just kind of walking around grabbing college co-eds and stuff. So you have all kinds of horror when it comes to black and white stuff, the schlockiest of the schlocky and the classiest of the classy. Yeah, thank you for that list. Um, it seems like, like if it's not streaming, it looks like a lot of these movies are available on disc. There's a way to get them, you know. And I, and I think one thing that I I want to recommend to a lot of people is check out your local library. A lot of times they've got DVDs. If you're lucky, you could get a VHS at some of these. Uh, there's online places you can get libraries. You see a lot of movies that are not available on streaming services on like Hoopla or Canopy. I love Hoopla and Canopy. I'm a huge library user. Yeah, I I love it. Um, so it's definitely something that I would highly recommend people do if they want to check out a lot of these movies because you know I think one of the reasons why I feel physical media is so important is just to kind of keep these movies in circulation and whatnot. So. 
people who are listening, young young people, can still watch these films and get something from them. You know, so I think that's uh that's why I like the Cowboys podcast too, is because they're kind of keeping these movies alive. So I think you're doing a nice nice thing actually, beyond just having a great show. Like you're doing something for the continued recognition of some of these films that if we didn't talk about it, we'd forget. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Cause that, that is a goal of mine. I hope to at least make some kind of small difference in that way, because I, I do think about how these movies are, they're not getting any younger, you know, <laughs> generally the older things get, the more they get forgotten. Like I remember when I heard about how the universal monsters restaurant at universal theme park was closing and they were replacing it with a minions restaurant. And I like had this mini existential crisis of like, oh God, are we going to forget the Universal Monsters movies? I don't think we will, but um, but I I do hope to make at least some kind of some kind of difference there, however small. All right, Daniel, thank you so much for doing the show. Um, I'll link you know your your podcast and we can find you online and whatnot for the Cowboys podcast. Um, and I've been really looking forward to talking to you for a long time so thank you again for coming on the show so you know i hope you have a good october spooky season thank you very much and thank you for having me man you're welcome